Order. If this is your first time joining with us, we've been walking through the minor prophets together uh, here for the last, uh, the last I don't know, probably last month and a half, two months or so. We've been going through the minor prophets, just giving kind of a bird's eye view of each one of these books because we find them tucked into the middle of our Bibles. And most of the times we, we look at them, we think they all say the exact same thing and uh, it's all just judgment, judgment, judgment. And it's hard for us to read through them and actually know what's going on. And so we've been given kind of a bird's eye view and hopefully kind of a background so that whenever you're reading the Bible for yourself, you'll actually know what's going on, what's happening there, and to have a better understanding of the Word of God. We want you to be able to know uh, God's Word, and so that's what our plan is as we go going through these. But we've been striving to help you to learn where to find these. And so uh, we've got the books of uh, the Bible here in order, uh, 12 Minor Prophets, and so we've been saying them before each week, and so we're going to do it again today, uh, say these, these books together in order. Uh, that way you can know where to find them when you're looking for them. So so join me. We're going to say them uh, the the left row first. I guess yeah, left row first and the right row second. Let's say them together. Here we go: Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. All right. So we've got twelve books that cover roughly four hundred years of history. Uh, when it comes to the nation of Israel, we've been looking through these each week. We've been going through them chronologically. Now in the Bible, they're not chronological. Uh, and so, uh, whether you, this is good for you to know where to find them, but we've been walking through them chronologically according to when they happen in history. And uh, we've, I've enjoyed going through these, learning each week, because each one of these books, I don't know if you found this, they each have an element of judgment, but along with the judgment, they have a different element, uh, a lesson that we can take and that we can learn from. And I hope you've enjoyed that as we've gone through them. And today we find our way to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah, you can find your way there this morning. The, the book of, of Zephaniah was written around the same time as the book of Habakkuk, which we looked at last week, all right? Uh, so, so, some, some place the writing before the book of Habakkuk, some put it after the book of Habakkuk, but it was sometime around that same period of time. In fact, in verse number one, the Bible tells us that it was written di- during the reign of King Josiah. So it's very possible that it could have taken place before the book of Habakkuk. Either way, we know that it was written during Habakkuk and about the same time as the book of Jeremiah as well, writing to the same nation of Judah because the northern nation of Israel had already been destroyed. And so we know that the two kingdoms, the northern nation of Israel, the southern nation of Israel, the northern nation had been destroyed, the southern nation composed of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, He is pronouncing the same coming judgment that we read about last week at the hands of the Chaldeans or the, the Babylonians. Babylonians that we talked about last week. And following a brief introduction in verse number one, Zephaniah jumps directly into the pronouncement of judgment upon the nation of Judah in verse number two. Look what the Bible says. He says, I will utterly, God speaks, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. Once again, we're reminded that the judgment at the hands of God uh, uh, that, that was coming through the Babylonians, it was going to be total, it was going to be absolute, it was going to be complete. We spent quite a bit of time discussing this prophesied judgment, so we won't spend a, a lot of time this morning rehashing uh, what we've already covered. Uh, but uh, the, the, the reality is there was going to be no relief outside of the Lord. As we looked out at verse number 17, we see the complete destruction being described even more so. He says, and I will bring to pass distress, uh, bring, I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they've sinned against the Lord. 
Their blood shall be poured out as dust, their flesh as the dung. Neither uh, their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy readance of, of all them that dwell in the land." He says, listen, he says, everything's going to be wiped out. He said, these people are getting, they're getting wiped off the map. They're being completely destroyed. That's, that's what God says. He says, when Babylon comes along, they're, they're, it's going to be an utter destruction. He said, their money, their gold. He said, nothing is going to be able to spare them from the judgment that is coming. And as we come to those first three verses of chapter number two, though, we, we see a change of tone a little bit. Chapter number one is judgment, God's judgment, wrath poured out on Israel. But as we come to chapter number two, once again we find the mercy and long-suffering of God being shown. We find that God points to a hiding place, a hiding place that He provides. Look at chapter number two, verse number one. He says, gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired. He's speaking to Israel here. He says, before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, seek ye the Lord. All ye meek of the earth which have wrought His judgment, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of Of the Lord's anger. And chapter number one is he 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 pronounces and and describes the judgment that was coming to Judah, and he talks about the complete destruction that was going to come past. No no doubt they must have been thinking to themselves, "What are we going to do?" And God God in, in chapter number two is so beautiful. He goes through and he says, "Listen, before the judgment comes." Before you're wiped out, before everything takes place, before, he says, right now, seek the Lord. Seek ye the Lord. I love it because he cries out repeatedly, before judgment comes, seek God. You know, that's something we can, we can learn. The Bible tells us that one day judgment is coming. One day, the Bible tells us that heaven and earth will pass away. One day, the Bible tells us that our life will come to an end. And one day, if we've never trusted Christ as our Savior, we will wake up in judgment. The Bible is very clear. In fact, Jesus spoke more about a place called hell than He did a place called heaven. And yet, we all love to think about heaven. Nobody likes to talk about hell, but it's a very real place. The Bible actually describes it as a lake of fire. Hell will be cast into this place, the lake of fire, for all of eternity. This past weekend, we, we had the men and boys camp out, and we, we, we had some time standing around the fire, and at one point it was getting kind of cold out, and I was standing kind of close to the fire, and as I was standing there by the fire, all of a sudden I kind of reached down, and my pants touched my, my legs, you know, the way I was standing, they weren't, and, and they touched my legs, and I was like, whew, those are hot, you know, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, it, it got a little warm, I had to step away from the fire because it got too hot for me. Listen, I wasn't even standing in it. I was just standing close to it. And the Bible tells us that one day, all those that don't accept Christ as their Savior, they don't receive the gift that He offers to them, will spend eternity in that lake of fire. What do we do about it? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came and He died on that cross for you, for me. 
The wage of our sin is death. So what did He do? He died. He paid our payment for us. So what do we do about it? Well, can we say it the way that Zephaniah said it? Before judgment comes, seek the Lord. How do you do that? Well, the Bible tells us that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved from that punishment. That without any works that we could do, because if it was based upon our works, we would boast about it. No, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What do we have to do? You have to come to that place where you recognize that you are a sinner, and there's nothing that you can do to get yourself to heaven. That you have to put your faith and your trust in Jesus and Him alone and what He did on the cross. If the wage of sin is death and He died for you, then you have to accept His gift. He says, my gift was my life. And you have to accept that gift if you want eternal life. Now just like any gift, you can reject that gift. You can put it off. You can say, you know what, not right now, but you have no promise that you have another day or another opportunity to receive that gift. If you've never accepted the gift of eternal life, I'll do it today. Before the judgment comes, do it today. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and know for sure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. That's a wonderful promise. I don't know why anybody would reject it, and yet every day people do. Every day people say, no thanks, God. Friend, don't let it be you today. Receive the gift of eternal life that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week we saw the promise in Habakkuk chapter number 2 verse number 4. He said, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. We saw last week as he talked about the judgment that was coming upon the nation of Israel. And yet he said, listen. He said, the just, they're the ones, I'm going to focus my attention on them. I I have this group that, that listen, whenever they seek after me, then I am going to to, to hold fast to. And we talked about the life in in Daniel and and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and how God used them and He he spared their life and, and used them even through the destruction that was coming. Now here again in Zephaniah, God says, listen, destruction is coming. But before that destruction comes, He said, I've got something that I want to share with you. He said, I've got something that I want you to know about. He says, I have a hiding place. Ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger, in the day of the Lord's judgment. It's interesting, every week we've talked about the names of what the writers of the books mean, what their names mean, and Zephaniah is no different. Zephaniah's name means Jehovah Hides. Jehovah Hides. Now, now when you first hear that, when I first read that, I thought, well, that doesn't sound like a good thing. <laughs> I mean, Jehovah Hides, I don't, I don't want him to hide. That's not good. But that's not what, he's, what it's talking about here. It's not talking about Jehovah hiding from something. It's talking about what Jehovah is hiding. You see, the book of Zephaniah is written by the man, Zephaniah, and it's most likely that, that Zephaniah was probably born during the reign of a king named Manasseh. Manasseh. Last week we, we mentioned about how Josiah was, was one of the earliest kings to ever reign. He began reigning when he was eight years old. We talked about how crazy that was. Well, not, not to, to, too, too far uh, removed from that. His father, Josiah's father, Manasseh, had started early as well. He began reigning when he was 12 years old. 
we find the account of Manasseh's leadership in 2 Chronicles. Listen to what the Bible talks about when it says, uh, talks about his reign. It says, but, but he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Likened to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He, he built again the high places which Hezekiah's father had broken down. He reared up altars to Balaam. He made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven. He served them. Also he built altars in the house of the Lord, where, whereof the, the Lord had said in Jerusalem, shall my name be forever. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the courts of the house of the Lord. I mean, he's building these altars in all these places, in the places that where God's supposed to be worshipped. He's building altars to all these false gods. And then listen to what it says in verse number 6. And he caused his children... To pass through the fire and the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with familiar spirits and with wizards. He, he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. That was the reign of Manasseh. I mean, this guy was given over to witchcraft and, and to idolatry and, and sorcery and all these different things. And it led them down this road to where he was sacrificing their kids, their children, to their gods. They would cast them into the fire. Child sacrifices. Suffice to, suffice to say that this would have been a fearful time to have a child. And this is most likely the time when Zephaniah was born. If Zephaniah's parents were godly parents, as it appears that they were, they most likely hid their child from the danger of becoming a sacrifice to the false gods of their day. And now as Zephaniah writes his book, he reflects back on the mercy and protection of God that God showed to him when he was a child. And he gives this message from the Lord to, to Judah, letting them know that even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of danger, there is a hiding place in the presence of God. Aren't you grateful that no matter what you're facing in life, you can find a hiding place in the Lord? I'm so thankful for that. I, I'm thankful uh, that, that God gives us a hiding place. I've, I've talked often about our kids and, and how they love to play hide-and-seek. They enjoy playing hide-and-seek at our house. And, and Jason and Kanoa have gotten to the place where they're, they're pretty good at hiding. In fact, uh, Jace is so good, sometimes we just can't find him. And you just got to wait until it's like the next meal time, and then you call for him and he comes out from somewhere. It's, uh, it's, I mean, he's, he's gotten pretty good at this. But Jackson, Jackson's the smallest and you would think, with Jackson being the smallest, he can fit into the most places. He can fit into the small places that, that even his brother and sister can't fit into. So you would think that Jackson would be the hardest one to find. But he's not. He's always the easiest. And I'll tell you why. Because when we play hide and seek, it's usually at night and all the lights go off. And Jackson will always come to either mommy or daddy and say, Mommy, daddy, will you hide with me? <laughs> And so it's usually, uh, usually me and Jackson underneath a blanket, or it's, or it's Jackson and Mommy hiding beside a refrigerator or something like that. It's always the two of them hiding in, in, that, in the darkness, in, in that place where, where somebody's seeking for. In, in that time, he's, he, he wants that place of comfort next to Mommy or next to Daddy. You know, the world that we live in, 
can make you feel pretty anxious. We talked last week about how Bacchic admitted that he had felt afraid. And there's so many things in our world today and and where we live that can cause us to worry. Some people are, are controlled by anxiety, by uncertainty. Things that, 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 that are going on around you that, that, some, that oftentimes are out of your control and, and it dictates your entire life. Fear. Anxiety. I mean, just this anguish of, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring and I don't know what's going to happen in this situation and how are we going to get through and I don't know what to do. And, oh. But there's a wonderful truth we can be reminded about here in Zephaniah. That in the midst of anxiety and stress and and fear, you can find a comfort in the hiding place of the Lord. In Exodus chapter number 33, Moses asked the Lord to reveal His glory to him. He says this in, in verse number 19, and I said, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, the Lord said. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, will show mercy and whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, God says, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place, don't miss this, beside me. And thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of a rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. I love this. The Bible tells us that that God looks at Moses and says, Moses, there's a place by me, there's a place beside me in the cliff of this rock. He says it's this place of safety. It's a place of protection. It's a place of comfort. It's a place where where you're going to be right there next to me where you will experience my presence. How can a person go through pain and suffering? How can someone face persecution? How can someone face resistance in this world? How how can someone go through through hurt and, and through pain and through sadness and yet still find comfort in the Lord? Can I tell you, they found a place by the Lord that no matter what may come, they can remain content with Him. Friend, where do you run to when the trials and difficulties of life come? Where will you go in the face of persecution and difficulty? It'd be good to discover that hiding place with the Lord today so when difficulty comes, you know where to run to. We're getting ready to to start hunting season. In fact, I just looked at my calendar. I'm blown away. Next Sunday is opening day with, uh, or excuse me, Saturday, opening day with uh, bow season and things. And, And I know this, when it comes to hunting, okay, it's good to go out ahead of time and do some spotting. 
To find the, the places, right, where, where the elk are, or, you know, to find the places where you can go to and you can get it. It's good to sometimes to get there ahead of time and maybe do a little bit of looking around and find, okay, here's a good place to set up camp. Here's a good spot where we can, we can, we can look and, and here's a good, good vantage point and this might be a good blind and, and this might be a good spot. And, and you got all these, these plans and these preparations and things like that. And the next Saturday comes around, and you go to that spot and somebody's already there. That's how that works, okay? But, uh, you know, you, you, you do all these pre-planning so that you can make sure that you know where the spot is that you're going to have the most success, the best results. Friend, can I tell you the, the, what we need to do? We need to find that place of comfort, that place that's beside the Lord, that hiding place before, before the hard times come. Before the, 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 the uncertainty, the fear sets in. Before the persecution arrives. Because the reality is, we probably won't always enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy today. The religious freedoms that we can, we can worship and we can serve God in a church like this without any fear of persecution, friend, that may not always be the case. It probably won't. Never in history has there ever been such a time as the religious liberties and freedoms that we are experiencing today. Never in time has it been easier to be a Christian. Never in history has it been easier to take the gospel to the world. But there may ne- neither have ever been a time in history when apathy and complacency was more common than in the day that we live in. Because it's just so easy. You see, when we don't have to make a choice to stand or to bow, it's easy to do neither. Sure, you may not be bowing to some idol. You may not be worshiping some satanic ritual. You may not be sacrificing your children uh, like the, in the fires like they were in the days of, of Manasseh. But you haven't truly had to take a stance against it either. And in the midst of the ease of the Christian life here in the 21st century, we've stopped running to God Because we don't need to. Because we don't know what it is to face suffering. We don't know what it is to face persecution. We don't know what it is to face resistance. We talked on Wednesday night about a man by the name of Thomas Hawks. He lived in the 1500s. Thomas Hawks was arrested because he refused to have his baby baptized. You know, we would know that, that one of the primary teachings in the Catholic Church is that an infant is to be baptized because they believe in baptismal regeneration. It's one of the sacraments that you're supposed to do. Here's one problem. You don't find that in this book. There's no place in here where it talks about a baby being baptized. It never happens. It's never said. Baptism always followed a conscious decision of salvation, never before. And for someone to get, to get saved, they have to be able to make that conscious decision. Thomas Hawks refused to have his baby baptized, and because of that, he was imprisoned. For days and months, he was held there under threat of his life until finally he was brought before the, the, the council and they judged that he was to be burned at the stakes because of his sins. And the night before he was to be burned, 
Some of his friends came to his jail cell and they said, Mr. Hawks, they said, Thomas, can you give us a sign? A sign that, that it's worth it to stand for God. And God's grace is sufficient. The day came, they took Thomas Hawks out and they led him to the stake. They bound his hands and his feet. They loaded the wood around him and then they lit the flame. He prayed and he sang as the flames licked his body until there was no more voice that could be heard. At that time, his body began to slump as the the flames was now consuming him. In fact, his fingers had been burned to nothing more than nubs at this point. Finally, the binds were burned from off of his wrists. And when everybody thought that he was dead, Thomas Hawks lifted his arms above his head and three times he clapped his nubs together. And those that were standing by, many didn't know what it meant, but there were some that knew. Yes, it's worth it to stand for Christ. God's grace is sufficient. Friend, we don't understand persecution. We don't know what that is. We have no idea. But that may not always be the case. There's coming a day where at the, in the name of religion, there's coming a day at the name of, of, of social justice, there's coming a day in, in which equity and, and inclusivity and acceptance, at the name of all of those words, people, Christians, will be persecuted if they do not simply go with the flow. And what's so sad is in the world that we live in is most Christians are just going day by day by day by day not making any decision to stand for Christ because they don't have to. Sure, they're not bowing to the idols. And maybe even we might post something on Facebook every once in a while. But to actually take a stand for God? Oh, we don't have to. There's coming a day when those religious liberties and freedoms that we have today may not be there. To obey the Bible will be to break the law to face persecution. 1 Timothy chapter number 3, or 2 Timothy rather, chapter number 3, Paul wrote to Timothy and said this, This know also in the last days perilous times shall come. It will come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Does this sound familiar? Covetous, boasters, Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections. Do you know what that means? That's homosexuality. Right? That's what that is. Natural natural affection. The way God created us naturally. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Yeah, it looks religious, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. 
In the midst of that world, Paul wrote to Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He said, Timothy, if you're going to stand in that day, if you're going to stand against the wickedness, if you're going to stand against the persecution and against the evil of the world, he said, you will suffer persecution. If you just choose to live godly, there will be resistance that you will face. And Christian, can I tell you today, mark it down, the days are coming where you will have to choose whether you you're going to stand or you're going to bow where you're going to have to choose whether you're going to to stand up stand up for Jesus or you're going to bow down to the gods of this world listen there's coming a day where you don't just get to come in and sit in a seat and shake your head and say oh that was nice and then walk away from the service and leave completely unchanged that day is coming and I hope that you'll find the hiding place next to the Lord before it comes so when that day arrives you know where to run to. Friend, if you're relying on, on your spouse to get, be that emotional strength for you, well, I, I hope that they can help you, but that's not where it's at. If you're relying on this preacher to be your emotional, spiritual strength, can I tell you, you you're looking at the wrong person. If you think it's found here in this church, hey listen, I'm thankful for our church, I'm thankful for the support system that you find here, it's a blessing, and I pray that we can continue to build upon that, but listen friend, that's not where it's found. No, there's a hiding place next to the Lord, where there is comfort, don't miss this, there's boldness, so that you can stand in the day of adversity. Oh, the Bible tells us, Zephaniah reminds Judah, he says, and before the judgment comes, decide to find your way to that hiding place where you know the Lord. He knows you. It's a place of comfort and boldness for him. Zephaniah knew what it meant to be in the hiding place next to the Lord. That's what he's talking about there in that first, those first three verses. And then he goes on and Chapter number 2, and, and really the first part of chapter number 3. And he gives God's demonstration of judgment. And we're not going to cover the whole chapter, but God begins to share with Zephaniah some similar to how he did with Habakkuk, how he was going to bring judgment on those that turned against God. Verses 4 through 7, judgment on the Cherethites, or, or Philistia, uh, the, the Philistines. In verses 8 through 11, it's judgment on the Moabites and the Ammonites. In verse number 12, it's judgment on the Ethiopians. In verses 13 through 15, judgment on the Assyrians. And then he comes to chapter number 3. And he brings it back home. In the first seven verses of chapter number 3, he pronounces the judgment upon Jerusalem. Look at verse number 2, it's interesting. He says, she obeyed not, he's speaking of Jerusalem, she obeyed not the voice, she received not correction, she trusted not in the Lord, she drew not near to her God. They rejected God's voice. They rejected what God had to say. They rejected the word of the Lord. They didn't have the Bible like we have it today. But they rejected it all the same. You know, you can choose what you're going to do with this. You can accept it, or you can reject it. You can obey it, or you can refuse it. 
Jerusalem chose to reject it. It was their choice. God gave them ample opportunity and they rejected it. In verses 3 and 4, he goes on and he says, listen, it was the leadership of the country. That's, that's where it started. It was the people that were supposed to know better that, that failed. He says in verse number 3, her princes within are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw at the bone till the morning. Her prophets or preachers are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They've done violence in the law. It was the leaders of Judah had turned their back on God. The princes, the judges, the prophets, the priests, the people that knew better turn their back to God. You know what the Bible says that we are according to the New Testament? It says that if you become a believer in Christ, you are a royal priesthood. The ones that know better. And it's interesting in verse number 7. Listen to what it says. This is God, God speaking here. And, and how broken Zephaniah must have been as he read this, as he wrote this. God says, surely thou wilt fear me. Thou wilt receive instruction. So their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them. He said, I try... Surely with the, the judgment that was come and the goodness that I showed to them, surely with, with all the works that I did, God said, surely they would turn away from, from what they were going to where they were going. But they rose early and corrupted all their doings. When the invitation was given to make things right, they turned and went back to their old Man, does this sound familiar. <laughs> Friend, when's the last time that you responded to the voice of the Lord? When's the last time that you surrendered your life to Him? Not figuratively, but, but you actually were willing to lay down your hobbies, your enjoyments at the altar of the Lord and say, God, you're more important than these things. God, you know that I enjoy this. You know that I love this. But God, I'm going to put you above that. See, we don't have, most of us don't have physical altars sitting in our house. But I guarantee every person in this room has figurative ones that they live after and live by. Things that take the place of God. God who's supposed to have first priority in our life and we take Him and we set Him down and we put something else up there. Activities and hobbies and, and people and places. and I mean, we, we, listen, in Montana, this is just the reality of it. And listen, I'm not trying to fight against the culture out here, but, but we have, you know, two and a half days of good weather out here, okay? Every summer, it's great, you know. But, uh, you know, and so, so what happens? And uh, I, I told Tressa, I said, I have a love-hate relationship with summer because I know this, when summer's coming around... People disappear. I mean, it's just it's, 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 it's what it is. Okay, that's the world that we live in. And, and listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't go spend time with your family. Okay, that's that's not what I'm saying. It's good for you to get away and, and do those types of things. And I hope that you do do those things. All right. But but here's what happens. It, it becomes a way of life. Instead of just a hey, we're getting a weekend away. All of a sudden, it becomes a way of life. That that's it's not just one weekend. It's the next and the next and the next and the next. And then they never come back. You know what COVID was? 
It was a great excuse for a lot of people to get away from going to church. Oh, it's okay, preacher. I watch online. Hi, I'm sure you're still watching, you know, <laughs> three, three years later. You know what happened? It became a good excuse, a good reason to never go back. I had someone tell me not too long ago, they said, you know, we, we, when everything happened, we, we didn't come back, and then we were planning on coming back, and then we didn't come back, and then they said, and then some time went by, and it came to the point where I started thinking, well, what are people going to think if we do come back? Taking God from His place, the fear of man bringeth a snare. You see, it's so easy for us to take God off of His throne and put other things up there. It's so easy for us to get distracted. And just like the priests and the prophets and the princes and the judges, the people that knew better, to take God away from the place that He's supposed to be in. When's the last time that you actually heard the Word of God and it changed something in your life? In Indiana, I grew up going to a camp uh, there in southern Indiana, and, and for years they had this pond. It was kind of surrounded by trees, but it was open on one area. And this pond, I mean, I don't really know how it worked, but I mean, water just was there. It wasn't like a spring or anything. They just, they just, there's just water that was there. They didn't fill it every year or anything. It just, it. It was like it never went down, never went up. It just was there all the time. And, and something would happen is you got further into the summer, that stagnant, stale water would grow moss over it. In fact, that moss would be so thick that it would almost look like grass. You couldn't really tell the difference. I mean, it was, it was really kind of weird. I don't know. And I'll never forget one year at camp, some of the counselors were, were playing a game or something, they were running around or something, and somebody didn't realize that there was a lake there. And they saw this green-covered flat area, and one of the counselors ran and, and fell into that nasty, mucky, stale, stagnant water, and I mean, came out looking like the, you know, the, the creature from the Blue Lagoon. I mean, it was just, I mean, like, I mean, just covered in, in moss. I mean, like, it was, it was quite the, the experience. In fact, they, they figured out after that it was, it was a danger to the property. They went so far, they actually brought dozers in and everything, and they completely removed that pond. It's not even there anymore. I mean, it's gone. There's, there's just a hole. I mean, there's a bunch of land there now, dirt where that pond used to be. They got rid of it. Why? Because that, that stale, stagnant, mossy-covered, uh, you know, bug-infested water had become a danger to them. And listen, friend, there's a lot of Christians that are just like that pond scummed over with that moss. Where there's nothing flowing in from the Lord, and there's nothing flowing out for the Lord. And it's just this stale, stagnant, stinky Christian life that's not making any impact for the cause of eternity. And it might be time to do some overhauling. It might be time to do some tearing out. It might be time, like Jesus said, told them in Romans or in Revelation chapter number three, he, he tells the church at Laodicea that you should be zealous, therefore, and repent, he says. To wake up 
and determine that today, not just to live a Christian life that leaves no impact for the cause of Christ. How sad it is that most Christians, most Christians will live their entire life for nothing that is actually worth living for. Think about that. Most Christians will live their entire lives for nothing that is actually worth living for. We will live for sports and activities and fun and amusement and we amuse ourselves to death and one day we'll stand before God and He'll say, what in the world did you do with your life? I'm not saying we shouldn't have fun and be able to enjoy life. Listen, I, we went camping this last week and there were parts of it that were fun. And uh, I mean, like, listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't go hunting, okay? I, listen, I, I, I'm going to find myself, my way into the mountains, hopefully a, a couple times this year. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy life. I'm not saying we shouldn't do fun things. But what happens is we allow those things to take the place of God. And we live our lives for those things. And we do nothing for something that actually matters, something that's actually going to last for eternity. We've gotten so good at burying our talents and our treasures that God has given us. And one day you're going to end up in heaven and all you're going to have is that He forgave you for your sins. And yes, you'll still get eternity in heaven with Him. Praise the Lord for it. But you will have nothing to cast at His feet. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. The tears that are wiped away in heaven, they take place long after, long after the judgment seat of Christ. Where believers will stand before God. Not judged upon their works to get access into heaven, but judged by their works on what they're going to cast at Jesus' feet. And I believe there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of Christians one day that are going to stand before God and tears are going to stream down their cheeks because they're going to stand there empty-handed with nothing that they did for their Lord because they lived their whole life for themselves. Oh, friend, wake up. Wake up. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and I hope you do too. God sees. He knows what we're doing for Him. So you may be able to, to, to skim by at your work and fool your, your boss. You might be able to play pretend and put on a good face and fool this pastor. You might even be able to play the game and fool your spouse. But God sees you. He sees the way things really are. Galatians 6, he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, as we have therefore opportunity. Let us do good to all men, especially to them who are the household of faith. It's time to wake up in our Christian life and start living for something that's actually going to last. Something that actually matters for eternity. Well, if you feel beat up this morning, let's end on a positive note, okay? So we're going we're gonna to wrap up here. We see finally God's promise to the faithful. His promise to the faithful. We won't read all the verses, but in verses 8 through 20, that's exactly what God does. In fact, Zephaniah is given a glimpse from the Lord into the future. Not just Zephaniah's future, but our future as well. God begins to share with Zephaniah what will happen with the faithful 
as they look forward to one day. In verse number 8, he, he, he says this, okay, look there. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour out upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger for all the earth shall be fierce, uh, shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. You say, Kyle, I thought this was good news. We're still talking about judgment here, okay? No, no, listen. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about a specific day, a day in which all the world All the enemies of God will be gathered together into one place. All the enemies of this earth will be gathered against together to fight one final battle, not against each other, but with their arms and their spears and their guns pointed upwards to heaven. He's talking about the day, the battle of Armageddon. The second coming of Christ. When God will descend, when God in flesh, Jesus Christ will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, alright? When He comes back, and the Bible tells us that with the spoken word, with a sword that proceedeth out of His mouth, and that will end the battle. I mean, just like that. We've talked about it before. I, I've often thought, and I've shared before, I don't know how to ride a horse on this earth, but one day I'm going to know how to ride one when I get to heaven, all right? Because I, you know, I know I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know one day when that battle of Armageddon comes, I'm going to climb up on that white horse. It's going to be awesome, all right? And I had it in my mind for years. I mean, I'm going to be coming down there, riding on this horse like I'd never done before. I mean, the only time I've ever ridden on a horse, that I buck, it bucked me off, all right? That was the only time whenever I, whenever I actually ran, all right? It wasn't even running. It was galloping. It decided to turn. I, I didn't. You know what I mean? Like, and so, you know, one day, I'm going to be riding down on that horse, and I'm like, man, here comes, it's going to be this awesome battle and all this stuff. And then when you read the Bible, it's not going to be like that. Yes, we're going to ride on this white horse. It's going to be really cool, but, but there, I mean, like, we're not going to swing any swords. We're not going to fire any guns. We're not going to do, I mean, we're just going to, I mean, it's just like, it's kind of for show. I mean, really, we're all going to be riding on this horse, and God's gonna, Jesus is going to speak, and that's it. It's done. That's how powerful he is against all the... I mean, you're talking about the devil, the Antichrist. I mean, like all of his, his false prophets. I mean, all, all the enemies of God. One day, they're going to... On that day, he's going to speak the word. Boom, it's done. That's it. It's over. That's what he's talking about in verse number 8. That's what's going to happen. He says he will devour them. God guarantees total victory. The wicked will be defeated. Evil will be abolished. Sin will be ended. I love what one preacher said. I love this. He said, at salvation, you were delivered from the penalty of sin. Each day, you were delivered from the power of sin. And one day, you will be delivered from the very presence of sin. Friend, I can't wait for that day. And that's what we find in this verse. We see that there will be a unity of people like never before around a common goal. In verse number 9. He says, for then will I turn to the people a pure language. They're all going to speak the same language. That they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent. He says, listen, he said, everybody, he said, all, all, all those that, that remain, those that, that, those that knew Christ, that accepted him, that, that, that are there, he said, all of those, he said, they're going to come together with one language. They're going to worship God. They're going to serve and praise God. Things won't always be the way they are today. One day, we will be serving Him willingly. So it would be good to start a little bit ahead of time and start doing it today. (laughs) As Zephaniah is finishing his books, he, he writes a final response to us and a promise from God. In verse number 14, he says, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad. 
Rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. I love this because he says this. He says, in light of what's been done, in light of what is going to happen today, I want you to sing, to shout, to be glad, to rejoice. Christian, can I tell you, today we ought to be praising God. In light of what He's done, in light of what He's going to do, God, You are so good and I want to worship You and praise You and sing out to You. That's what He's saying here. To lift up our voices in praise to Him. Then he comes to verse 15 and he says, The Lord hath taken away thy judgment. He hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. From the Lord's perspective, it's as good as done. He's already won. Oh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, O death, where is thy sing? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us, you and I, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Friend, we won't just enjoy victory someday. We have victory today, right where we sit. 1 John 4, 4 tells us, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The final verse that we'll look at this morning, concluding in verse number 17 where we're going to wrap up. I like this. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his, uh, he will rest in his love. And listen, he will joy over thee with singing. Our God is mighty. Our God has saved us. Our God rejoices over us. Our God loves us. And I like this last, last part. Our God sings because of us. Now, I don't know if God's a bass, a tenor, or a baritone. I'm pretty sure he can hit all of the notes. But friend, I think we ought to give God something wonderful to sing about. I may be stretching things a little bit, probably am, but maybe, just maybe, your life today is writing the lyrics for your song. And one day, God will sing the song about your life and the life that you lived I wonder how long it will be whenever it comes to that verse about what you lived and how you lived your life for Him. Will there, will there even be a verse? Will there be a verse about how you were saved? I hope there will be. If there is, then I hope you can write one this morning. Will there be a verse about how you lived for Him and you gave your life to Him? If there is, then you can do it this morning. Will there be a verse about how you were overcome with anxiety and fear and yet you found that hiding place in the place next to the Lord and He gave you boldness and encouragement? Were you able to stand in the place of fear and anxiety and say, God, you're still good and I'm going to trust you in this place? Will there be a verse about that? Will there be a verse that you've went to your friends and your co-workers and your loved ones and you talked to them about the Lord and how you were able to share the gospel with them and they got saved. Will it be there? Well, what will the verses to that song that God sings say about your life? Maybe today would be a good time to start writing some new verses in the song of your life to God. I hope this morning that we'll learn from the book of Zephaniah 
So yeah, it's a God that judges, but it's a God that also gives mercy in a hiding place. It's a God that gives us this wonderful promise that one day victory is coming. But we can live in victory today. And I hope each and every one of us will choose to write a song with our lives. Oh, that God will sing one day about us that brings Him glory. Let's choose to write a song for Him today. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank